Happy second day of Advent. I'm Chad Bowen, and I'm the pastor at Moore Memorial United Methodist Church here in downtown Winona. It's hard to believe that we only have two more Sundays to get ready for Christmas, which means we've got work to do, not with the shopping or the cooking or the partying, but in preparing our souls for the arrival of the Lord. Jesus is coming. Are you ready? In Psalm 85, we read, Lord, you are favorable to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You pardoned all their sins, Selah. Let me hear what the Lord God will speak, for he will speak peace to his people, to his faithful, to those who turn to him in their hearts. Surely his salvation is at hand for those who fear him, that his glory may dwell in our land. Steadfast love and faithfulness will meet. Righteousness and peace will kiss each other. Faithfulness will spring up from the ground, and righteousness will look down from the sky. The Lord will give what is good, and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him, and will make a path for his steps. The arrival of the Lord is good news. He comes to restore He comes to forgive and pardon. He comes to speak peace to any who turn to him in their hearts. His salvation is at hand for those who fear him. That is the message of this psalm, and that is the message of the gospel for us. Righteousness will go before him and will make a path for his steps. Jesus is coming. The Son of God is soon to arrive, and that's good news. And today's sermon focuses on what it means to us that we are waiting for Jesus. In part, it means that we don't have to go to him. We don't have to seek him and find him because he is coming to us. And he has come to coming to care for us as people. It wouldn't be surprising if everything that's happened in 2020 has made you doubt whether God is near or whether God cares for you or for the world. But God never promised his, 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 his followers lives that are easy or full of comfort. But he has entered into history to save his people. And he continues to appear to us through the power of his word and the mystery of his sacraments. And he is coming soon in majesty to reign over the world that is rightly his. Righteousness will be his path. Righteousness and peace will kiss each other. Steadfast love and faithfulness will meet. That is the world that is coming. I wonder if you are ready to live in that world. If you don't feel like you're ready to fit in in that world, then maybe today is an opportunity for you to listen to the message of John the Baptist, to repent, to forsake your sin, and to turn to the Lord and to trust that the one who is coming is powerful enough to save you. I hope that that's what you find in Jesus today. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your spirit that remains with us even in difficult times, and we long for the return of your son Jesus, who is coming to set all things right. You know the deep brokenness of our world You know the deep brokenness of our lives, of our relationships, of our bodies and our minds and our souls and our spirits. We ask, Lord, that you would come, 
and that you would heal us and that you would be with us and that you would nurture us and comfort us and care for us, even by the gift of your word today. This we pray in the name of your Son, our Savior, the Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our first reading this morning comes from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 40, uh, verses 1 through 11. I invite you to hear this word. Comfort, O comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her, that she has served her term, that her penalty is paid, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries out, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low, and uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. Then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all the people shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All the people are grass. Their constancy is like the flower of the field. The grass withers. The flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Get you up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good tidings. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good tidings. Lift it up, do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. See the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. His reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms and carry them in his bosom and gently lead the mother sheep. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Our second reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Mark, the first chapter, verses 1 through 8. And I invite you to hear this word. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in the prophet Isaiah, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, The one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. The word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts find acceptance in your sight, Almighty Father. For it is you who are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. One of the great uh, tropes of 
Western existence, especially life in American culture, is the idea that a young person needs to go out away from everything that they have known and find themselves. This is something that we see over and over again in the lives of young people, that they think they they need to get somewhere else to find out who they are. And others of us might not be looking for ourselves, but find ourselves looking for God. That we think life is generally good, but there's something missing, and so I need to go out and search for and find the Lord. In fact, this is the way that oftentimes our culture conceives of religion. When we talk about various kinds of religion, some people who want to lean towards a kind of pluralism will say that the mountain is very large and it's a very long long way to the top and there are multiple paths, but all of them get you to the same place to the Lord. That everyone who is religious is somehow seeking to find God and will find God even though their journey might be different. For some of us, the question about God is not so much coming from a good and excited place, a place of self-discovery or a place of seeking to discover God, but a place of despair. Maybe God has left us. Maybe God has forgotten us. Maybe God has neglected us. Maybe God has forsaken us altogether and left us behind to go do whatever he will, forgetting about the position that we are in. The gospel doesn't help us find ourselves, and it it doesn't help us find God. It does something entirely different, starting with Israel, as they feel forgotten and neglected and maybe even forsaken. But to understand what's happening in Isaiah 40, which Mark quotes as he begins the gospel of Jesus Christ, we've got to know what happened in Isaiah 39. In Isaiah 39, Hezekiah is king of Israel. And Hezekiah is the last king of Israel, we know from other stories in Scripture. The ten northern tribes of Israel have already fallen, but Judah and Benjamin have held on. They've had prophets telling them that if they do not change, if they do not stop worshiping idols, if they do not reform their ways and return to the Lord, that they will receive a similar fate. And King Hezekiah receives an envoy of people from Babylon, from the nearest and biggest superpower of the world, And they come bearing gifts from the king of Babylon, and he is honored, and he wants to show them what a great kingdom Israel is as well. So he takes them on a grand tour of all of their storehouses. He shows them all of their gold and silver. He takes them to the armory, and he says, look what great weapons we have. Isn't this a magnificent kingdom that I rule over? He shows them everything that he's got and where it's stored. And Isaiah comes in to King Hezekiah, and he says, what did you show them? And the king says, I showed them everything, all of the wonderful things of our kingdom. And Isaiah says, everything that you have stored up, and everything that your ancestors, the kings before you have stored up, all of it will be lost. Babylon's going to come in, and they're going to take all of your stuff, And they're going to take all of our people, even some of your sons, Hezekiah, and they're going to lead them back to Babylon. 
the land that's been promised to us, the nation that's been promised to us, all of it will be lost. And Hezekiah's response is striking. Hezekiah says, that's good. And Isaiah says that he thinks it's good because he interprets all of, he hears all of that. And what he hears is, well, at least things aren't going to fall apart on my watch. Things are going to stay together. It's going to be peaceful while I'm king. And he's unconcerned about what else will follow. So 39 ends on that note with King Hezekiah not at all concerned that his country is going to fall apart. When Isaiah 40 starts, from verse to verse, there's only a few spaces, but in time it is tremendous. Israel has been taken off to exile. And the first words spoken in the prophet Isaiah to the people who've been taken off, who've lost their nation, who wonder if God will keep his promises at all, is comfort, comfort my people. The people have been taken away just as Isaiah said that they would be, and it's not hard to imagine how they feel like they have fallen a very long way. God promised them that David's heir would rule over them forever. God promised Abraham a land and a nation that would change the world. And they'd accumulated so much wealth that Hezekiah wanted to show everybody. They'd won battle after battle over their enemies. And now they've been stripped away from all of that. They've lost all of their riches. And they are refugees in a foreign land. Comfort. Comfort my people. God's first words to those in exile is comfort. The first word is good news. And it can be good news for us when we find ourselves in the worst situations. Trapped in addiction, drowning in debt, locked down in a pandemic, grieving loved ones gone too soon, fighting for our own lives against illness, concerned about others and not knowing how to help. How did we fall so far, we might ask? How have we lost everything? How have things changed so much? How did we end up here? Has God left us? Does God not care about hundreds of thousands of people dying? About millions ill? Is he unconcerned with our plight? Has he abandoned us in our time of need? Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. She has served her sentence. Her penalty is paid. The punishment has been enough. A voice cries out in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. The voice cries out in the wilderness. The wilderness is the place where Israel spent 40 years making their way to the promised land. When God led them out of Egypt and into the land that was promised... And now this word, the first thing spoken to Israel in exile, is about deliverance, about the wilderness, that they have come through and into their salvation. This sounds like God making a way for them to return to the promised land. And it gets better. Make the path straight. A straight path is really good news when you've spent 40 years before wandering and not knowing exactly where you were going, only knowing where the Lord was leading 
and your path is circuitous and indirect, make the path straight. Straight is shorter, it's faster. And any obstacles in the way, remove them. Lift up the valleys and knock down the hills, the mountains that are obstacles and obstructions for the journey. Mountains do a couple of things. One is you can't see past them. One of my, uh, one of my friends once said, I love Denver. I love Denver because Denver is right at the edge of the plains before the Rocky Mountains. And Denver is started by the kind of people that look up at the Rocky Mountains and say, I think this is far enough. Mountains make for arduous and dangerous journeys. It's exhausting to go uphill. And you can't see what's beyond them to even know how far the mountains extend or what's on the other side. Is it forest? Is it desert? Is it ocean? You can't see beyond it, and it's exhausting to cross them. And the uneven ground shall be made level. The rough places shall be a plain, it says. Uneven ground is hard to walk on. If it's a slope, it's hard to keep your balance. If, if there are uneven surfaces, it's easy to get tripped. It's dangerous to walk on uneven ground. And when you're walking on uneven ground, your eyes have to be looking down to make sure you don't trip over anything, to make sure every step is sure. And so you don't have any sense of what's up at the horizon because you can only watch your feet. So all of these things, the curves that would keep you from knowing where you're going, the mountains that would keep you from seeing what's next, the uneven ground that would direct your gaze down, your vision will be clearer and the journey will be easier, faster, and less exhausting, and easier and safer. That's the kind of path that should be prepared for the way of the Lord. So instead of tripping over uneven ground and staring at the ground, unable to see what's coming next because of the curves in the road and the mountains in front of you, you know exactly where the path is leading, and you can see all the way to the horizon. It's an easy road to travel, and you can see a long way. And just after this preparation of the highway for the Lord is made, we get this change in tone. We're not in the desert anymore, but we're talking about the nature of humans. All people are like grass. They're as durable as the flowers of the field. They're unreliable. They're weak. They can't even stand up to the wind that comes with God's breath. They fade, and they wither, and they shrivel up. But God's word stands forever. And then we get another transition. So, go up on a mountain. Zion, the herald of good things. Jerusalem, the herald of good things. These two landmarks become the place from which good news will be spoken. Lift up your voice, and do not fear. And this is what you're to say as the herald of good news. Here is your God. The Lord comes with strength. His arm rules for him. His strength conquers. He comes with both reward and recompense. He comes with prizes and with punishment. And his strength and his power 
then gets contrasted with this ability to nurture and to love and to care for sheep like a shepherd, to feed his flock and to gather up his lambs and to lead them gently. The gospel, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is not about Israel finding itself in some foreign land, and it's not about some grand journey to find God. The gospel is about God coming to the ones who have failed to him, whose lives have been torn apart, who have fallen so far beyond their wildest imagination that they wonder where in the world God is. And God comes to comfort them and to speak tenderly to them, to tell them that their penalty is paid, and to nurture them like a shepherd. When Mark wants to introduce the gospel of Jesus Christ, this is where he starts. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We could spend a month or maybe multiple months unpacking just the content of that sentence. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It's good news. It's about a human man named Jesus who's been born of Mary. It's about the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed, long-expected king, heir of David. And it is about a man who is divine, who is the very Son of God. And his story starts with another man's story, John the Baptist, who comes from nowhere but out of the wilderness preparing the way of the Lord. And how does he do that? By proclaiming a message of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, calling people to confess their sins to the Lord, to turn away from them, to be baptized and to be transformed so that they are ready for the Lord's arrival. He speaks to the people about preparing the way for God to come, and he speaks about the power of the one who will come. That he's not worthy to untie the sandals of the Lord. And that what John has to offer baptism by water is nothing compared to what Jesus has to offer baptism by the Holy Spirit. That one is coming. The one who is greater than John. And when Jesus shows up on the scene in the very next verses, he shows up ready to be baptized in the Jordan River. He comes through the same waters that Israel came through when they entered into the promised land for the first time. God is coming to save his people. The way being prepared, it turns out, is not the road for Israel to walk back to the promised land. It's the path that God is going to take to get to his people even in the middle of exile. That even in the middle of exile, his glory will be revealed and everyone will see it together because of his power, because of his recompense and his reward. And his word doesn't fade or falter. It stands forever. Though your life might fade, though your strength might falter. The Lord's does not, 
and he will not leave you or forsake you. Instead, he is coming to you with power, with recompense and reward, with gentleness, ready to nurture. God is coming to save you. God is coming to save me. Even in the midst of the most unimaginable scenarios, we don't have to find a way out. We don't have to find our way back. He is coming to wherever we are. Right there in your home or wherever you're watching or listening today, Jesus is coming. And our task is just to make space. To do whatever we can to remove the obstructions, to make the path straight, to remove the mountains, to raise up the valleys, to prepare the way of the Lord. To get rid of whatever it is that trips us, whatever it is that exhausts us, whatever it is that keeps us from looking up from our feet and to the horizon where Jesus is coming, that is the task. One of the church fathers of origin commenting on this passage said, The Lord wants to find in you, in you a path by which he can enter into your souls and make his journey. Prepare for him the path of which it is said, Make straight the path. The voice of one crying in the desert, the voice cries, Prepare the way. Now the way of the Lord is made straight in two ways. By contemplation, which is clarified by truth unmixed with falsehood, and by activity, which follows sound contemplation of the appropriate action to be taken, which is conformed to the correct sense of these things to be done. Prepare the way with contemplation that is reflecting on God and the things of God. Set your eyes on Jesus, look full on his wonderful face, Pray and read scripture and devote yourself to God. And then, activity. Set your sight on God and then the activity. Do what ought to be done. Live in righteousness. Offer yourself and your resources generously to others. In your activity and in your thoughts, prepare the way of the Lord. Because Jesus is coming. You don't have to find your way to him. You don't have to find yourself. In Christ, you will know who you are. And with Christ, you will know the Lord. So wherever you are today, whatever it is that you are struggling with, whatever it is that you are longing for, know that God is coming and that he will set everything right. And that when he arrives, all will be well. Wait for Jesus. Prepare the way for his arrival. And know that when he gets here, he will come in power and in glory and with gentleness and compassion, ready to nurture his people. This is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Or at least it's beginning. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we ask that you would come quickly to save your people. We ask that we would be able by your grace to set aside all ideas that we can save ourselves. That we can somehow uh, scramble and scratch our way to you. 
that we can rest in the reliable word of God, that you are coming to us, and that you will lead us to the places that we need to be, that you will reform our hearts, that you will restore our lives, that you will set all things right. Teach us to trust you, equip us to follow you, and do your work by your grace that we might prepare ourselves for your arrival. This we pray in your holy and precious name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Moore Memorial United Methodist Church today. We pray that it's been a blessing to you. If you'd like to support our ministries by giving to the church, you can do so by mailing a check to P.O. Box 467 here in Winona, or you can go to our website, moorememorialumc.com, and click on the Give tab at the top. We would greatly appreciate your gifts that will help sustain our work to share the love of Christ through study, worship, and service. All scripture readings in today's broadcast are from the New Revised Standard Version of the Bible and are used with permission. Now may you go in peace to prepare your hearts for the arrival of the Lord. Amen.